wild grasses rustle over Bobby Yard. The trees look ominous like judges. Here all sings, scream silently, and burying my head, slowly I feel myself turning gray. And I, myself, I'm on massive, soundless scream above the thousand, thousand buried here. I, I am, am each old man, man here shot dead. I am every child here shot dead. Nothing in me shall ever forget. The international let it thunder when the last anti-Semite on the earth is buried forever. In my blood, there is not Jewish blood. In their callous rage, all anti-Semites must hate me now as a Jew. For that reason, I am a true Russian. И потому я настоящий русский. Hey guys. George Mesa, Third Eye Edify podcast, and the rumors are true. I have a merchandise shop now. Very excited about it. All kinds of practical things for yourself or a gift. Anyway, you'll probably know where to find it. You just got to go to my website, thirdeyeedify.com, and there's plenty of links there for that. I have a book out now. It's a long time coming called World War U. And it's a lot more positive than the title may sound, but it's kind of an amalgamation of all of the things that I've thought about for my entire life, essentially, since I was a very, very young person. And I'll leave it at that. You can find everything there on the website if you want to check it out. It would I would appreciate it very much, and I would really genuinely appreciate feedback. I want to know, now that I put it out there, it certainly won't be my last book, but I, I want to know. I'm so curious to see what people think about the way I wrote it, because I didn't approach it like a novel or anything like that. It's certainly nonfiction. Anyway, I was about to say enough about me, but the impetus for this episode here was not the merchandise. The, ep- the impetus for this episode, very specifically, is a performance that I took part in when I was in college, Queens College, for music. We performed Shostakovich's 13th Symphony, nicknamed the Bubby Yar. I had no idea what the Bobby Yar was, and I quickly realized the impact of it. When we started studying what the words were, we were singing in Russian. And, uh, you know, Russian bad guy nowadays, but it's a pretty big country if you go to look at it. can fit continents in there. It's humongous. So is China and Mongolia, by the way. They're just huge. And... It's a very emotionally bound piece. 
It's set to the poetry of Yevgeny Yevtushenko, in poetry that he wrote during the... Well, hold on. Let me not get ahead of myself there. Performing this piece, there were moments where it's very cinematic in its nature. If you listen to it, you'll notice there's a lot of things that tend to kind of resonate with movie soundtracks. Little snippets here and there. It's not written like a symphony would be. It's simply called a symphony. And I like that aspect of it, actually. I like that it's called one. It kind of tricks you into thinking that it's going to be something that it's not. Um, There's a male solo singer, and then there's a full baritone choir, and everyone is singing the same note. This is very atypical. Normally, a chorus is subdivided into four distinct parts, sometimes even more within those parts. Soprano, alto, tenor, bass, S-A-T-B. And in this case, we're all singing the same thing, except for one chord that was sung at the end of the third movement. And other than that, we're all singing the same words, same notes, same rhythm, same everything. Thankfully, we had a Russian to help us in the group, and we had a professional Russian singer there to guide us, because there's a lot of very interesting pronunciations and things, and I already spoke Greek fluently, fluently. so certain things actually kind of made sense to me in the way that they were being said, and the, the way I had to say them, so lucky for me, I was able to say it pretty well, but... The point of me telling you all this is that it always stuck with me. There were so many ups and downs in the piece, very, again, emotionally charged. And looking back, the reason I'm making this episode now is because this piece is very clearly what we can call a lot of 20th century music is it's a wartime piece. It's written to feel the pains and the joys, if you can find that, in war, or at least the feeling of release when it's over. And the poetry itself is pretty shockingly honest, and you may be surprised to find out that one of the lines, and I'm paraphrasing, I have it written down somewhere, is, because I am not anti-Semitic, I am a true Russian. Now, there's a lot going on in the world right now. Middle East, Israel-Palestine, of course. Russia-Ukraine. These things are all tied together in this incident at the Babi Yar. So give me some time to tell you exactly what that incident was, why the poetry was written, and now this resulting symphony that was written with some of that poetry and... Yevtushenko actually wrote another, the fourth movement of this piece was written by Yevtushenko for this piece, because he stood very strongly behind this, and a lot of people did not stand strongly behind this. Because the impetus for the poem was the fact that the Soviet Union was not recognizing the site of Babi Yar as a Holocaust site. There was a massacre there of 150,000 people in a very short period of time. So let's talk about this often forgotten element that took place during this war. And it's, it's, it's painful to speak about, of course, you know? So just, just let's, let's all just kind of get our bearings straight here and maybe talk about a few things. So 
Yevgeny Yevtushenko, born July 18th, 1933, and died April 1st, 2017. Born in Zima, which is basically mid-Russia, right above Mongolia. If you look for Mongolia on a map where the Mongolia where it says Mongolia, Zima is essentially above that, many miles above, of course, but they're near the borders. I'm mentioning this exact location because this place, Babi Yar, is a ravine in Ukraine, then Soviet Ukraine. And if you weren't on the Euro-Russian border, maybe this didn't affect you as much, but as large as Russia is, all of Russia was affected by all of these things. Soviet Russia at the time. So this was written many years later. This was written in 1961 during what's called the Khrushchev Thaw, which is basically a relaxation on censorships that came up during Stalin's time. A de-Stalinization is what it's been nicknamed. Um, getting rid of the cult of personality. If you've heard that term before, it actually comes from Stalin, Stalin Soviet Russia. Um, the Soviet Union, by the way, I think it's worth mentioning because this whole Middle Eastern conflict started with an October surprise on October 7th as there often is during the election cycles. And this is no different. Um, it's funny how the left and the right media try to kind of favor certain things. A lot of fist bumping coming from the right media lately. Like, hey, I'm on your side, and now suddenly there's this whole thing, and everything's just imploding as, as it should, and I hope it does. But the Soviet Union started with the October Revolution in 1917 with Vladimir Lenin. And yet another Vladimir. There's a lot of Vladimirs going on. Vladimir Zelensky, Vladimir Putin, Vladimir Lenin. There's always Vladimirs. Take, take it as you will. Um, Soviet Russia had 11 time zones. That's how big it was. It stretched from Ukraine all the way to basically to where Alaska meets Russia. All of Russia. Humongous. In other words. Um... It was written, like I said, in protest of the Soviet Union's refusal to recognize this Babi Yar incident as a Holocaust site. Babi Yar meaning grandmother's ravine. And there's an ancient tale of purchasing it from a grandmother. There's a lot of Baba Yaga mythology. Babi Yar, Baba Yaga, grandmother. It, it's all in the old lady witch category. And um, you know how I feel about the word witch. I think that it's been really just ruined and bothers me so much. This incident is actually sometimes called the Holocaust by bullet. And it's nowhere near where the Nazis were typically being classified as doing the biggest damage. And the idea that Nazis did this will actually come a long way into what's going on in Ukraine right now. Yevtushenko, the poet who wrote Babi Yar, he was actually forced to add a stanza which mentioned that Russians and Ukrainians died with the Jews at Babi Yar. He didn't skirt this on purpose. He was respecting all that died. But there was a lot going on politically, as we'll see with the performance of this piece as well. It really was quite a moment in history, really. Um, so the incident itself, the Babi Yar. From September 29th to September 30th, 1941, Nazis... And I'm just reading the historical record here. Nazis had eliminated 33,771 Jews. This must be an estimate 
it's hard to really judge all that, right? The ledgers may not be perfect. Largest single massacre of the Holocaust. This all took place in one day. And like I said, this was a ravine, a deep ravine. They were just dumping bodies in, shoot, dump, shoot, dump, or dumping on the bodies and shooting them while they're down. Somebody uh, famously survived this and actually just pretended to be dead for a long time. Must have been quite, quite an arduous journey, I must say. There were other victims. It weren't just Jews dying here. That was actually the smaller amount here. There was an estimated 100 to 150,000 people killed and dumped in this ravine. And this was a German occupation, a Nazi-German occupation of Ukraine at the time. Yes, there were Jews in Ukraine. There were also Soviet prisoners of war. There were Romanis, which is kind of an Indo-Aryan group from India. You can look up the Romanis to see what they're all about. And again, Ukrainian Jews and nationals. Soviet Union, Ukraine, let's just call it Russia, Ukraine, and Jewish population. And Romanis. All killed up to 150,000. And if they're saying that number, it could have been more. It could have been less too. But wow, right? Let's remember that Vladimir Zelensky, another Vladimir, is also Jewish. So that might have something to do with what's going on now, but I'm not going to... There's too much to know. I am not an expert at all. I'm an expert on this piece of music. Um, as far as the information, I'm reading more than usual, as you can tell. So here's something interesting. Channels like Last American Vagabond and other ones who will be on my show very shortly. Ryan Christian, shout out to him. Amazing work that he does. There's the Azov Brigade in Ukraine, a group of neo-Nazis. And they call them white supremacists. I can't confirm or deny any of this stuff. But it's funny how suddenly there's this issue between Russia and Ukraine where Vladimir Putin is being claims to have been wanting to denazify Ukraine. I think that's denazify Ukraine. And it's funny how it all works. Take a moment here to look at some of these people. Here is Yevgeny Yevtushenko, poet, and a lot of other things. But certainly a candidate for somebody to have the political gun pointed right at him. This person made the cover of Time magazine. He's not some nobody. Now, I just wanted to make sure we made that point, because I've had an entire episode on Time magazine. Usually the people on those covers... You know, take or leave what they say about them. If they're on there, they have some clout in the world to some degree. Now, that Azov brigade that I always that I was just talking about, let's uh let's have a better look at them. Check out their symbol here, right? This is the Azov Brigade symbol. Again, neo-Nazi group in Ukraine potentially being supported by our tax dollars. How many billions? Let's not even bother talking about it. Look at that symbol. I would say that it does resemble this Nazi flag. Just the overall angles. The cross section in the middle. Right? It's not far off. I'm not saying it's exact. Swastikas go a long way back, by the way. Nazi, sure. Buddhist, Hindu, and more. You'll notice that the Nazi flag 
as the lines going in the other direction. Now, that is absolutely important. It's an inversion of this symbol here. The one at the bottom right is most important, perhaps, because it has a little more of a decorative style. But keep this in mind. This symbol is ancient. It's not some brand new 20th century hate symbol. I mean, they inverted it to become that. But, and I recall Hitler mentioning that, you know, this, our symbols are being desecrated, our theaters ruined by Jews, right? Meanwhile, Wagner was writing music, everyone writing symphonies and other very complex music in Germany because they wanted their own national culture. I dare say, and I might do a whole episode on it, that um, opera and, and the arts in general pushed Germany to become what they were. They used to be the epicenter culturally of, of the world, essentially, as far as art goes. And suddenly the Nazi Germany comes out of nowhere, seemingly. But I remember him specifically saying that they're tainting our arts and our theaters, but there were Jewish people that were kept in Nazi Germany and they were safe because they, they were needed to perform this very difficult music. So a little contradiction there. There's plenty of contradictions going on with World War II. Um, that goes without say, but I'm not really ready to flesh all that out right now. So what is this symbol? It's Ursa Minor, or Little Bear. Ursa Minor is the Little Dipper, and the very last star at the end of the handle is Polaris. It is the North Star, which means that does not move, which means the Little Dipper actually, over time, circles the center of the sky. And during the four seasons, you get the four points of this symbol. Look at it one more time, especially the bottom right one. Just pretend that's the little, little dipper at the beginning of each season of the year with Polaris dead center. There used to be, in many cultures, consideration of three symbols. And this is just a little third eye edify freebie for you for this episode. This has nothing to do with it. But there's a Disney movie called Brave. And this is the family crest three bears interlocked spinning around each other. If you consider the three seasons as spring, summer, fall, with Demeter getting rid of winter because it's just a dead zone, a hibernation period, there's your bear reference again. I mean, only get three seasons. Here's three bears circling around a center point. This is the same exact representation as Ursa Minor with the swastika. So I thought that was something absolutely worth mentioning. There's also, since we're discussing this whole Nazi element, check this out. This just happened. That's 27th of September, 2023. This is being recorded in early November, 2023. Canadian Prime Minister apologizes after a Nazi veteran is honored in Parliament. The Speaker resigned right after this because they blew it. They were all applauding for somebody who was a Nazi, regardless of whatever you think Nazis did or didn't do. And look who was in the crowd. Volodymyr Zelensky. Waving right through this dude, I would say. So they accidentally, without knowing, honored a 98-year-old Nazi veteran in Canada's uh, parliament, and somebody resigned over this. It's quite a little news story, and it goes a long way to, to... see what potentially that Azov brigade is doing in Ukraine, the place that we're funding. And now, of course, 
let's talk about oil and water. We're talking about Nazis and Jews. And now we have this whole Israel-Palestine thing going on. Simultaneously with the Ukraine war. I couldn't get over this connection. And now that I have this connection to the Bobby Yar piece, it really, I felt very compelled to discuss all of this. And that was um, September 22nd in the House of Commons, by the way, in Canada, in case you're interested in looking at this. Because it's funny that he was in attendance for that, isn't it? Discussing all the things that I'm discussing right now. So, it's crazy. But Ukrainian prisoners were asked to actually disinter the bodies, means that they dig them up after they're buried in this ravine for a 40-day-long cremation of all these many, many, over 100,000 people. And then, of course, they were executed. They just got their work done out of them, and then they killed them off. And it looks like 12 or so out of 341 survived. 341 people that did this work. Um, pretty nuts, you know. Now, in 1961, which is the same year as the Bobby Yar, maybe it kind of sprung into action, this poet, to write about it. But there was the um, Kudinivka disaster, where Soviet authorities were repeatedly dumping waste from a nearby brick factory into this ravine, covering up what happened, right? This resulted in a mudslide that killed 1,500 people. The Bobby Yar keeps going. It's horrifying. It's an intentional cover-up gone very wrong, wouldn't you say? And where is this Babi Yar ravine? It's in Kiev. Kiev, Kiev. I don't know how they're pronouncing it nowadays. But that is the capital of Ukraine, right? It's in mid-Ukraine, as most capitals are, along the Dnieper River, D-N-I-E-P-E-R. In my Chernobyl episode, we saw that this river was actually contaminated by the Chernobyl incident. So it's the most populous city in Europe. Forget Ukraine. It's a big place. It's an important place. And it's a big reason why the, the worldwide political spotlight has been on them for so long lately. Not just because of all the money we're dumping in. No, 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 not just because of that. So here is the composer now, Dmitry Shostakovich. From St. Petersburg, much, much closer to the Russia-Ukraine, the Russia-Europe border. And his 13th symphony, which was only nicknamed the Babi Yar, he did not write it in the score, but it is very much about it. It's basically the first word. Nad Babi Yarum Kamfeni Komfnyet, something along those lines. I don't remember. So don't uh, don't kill me for it. <laughs> first night was December 18th, 1962. Not too much longer from when the poem was written in 61. And a little blurry, I'm sorry, but here is Dmitry Shostakovich on the cover of Time magazine. Clearly a key player in at least the history of music. Um, his music is quite well regarded as far as 20th century music. A lot of 20th century composers, especially from 1908 on, were... The idea was everything's been done. Let's do the opposite. Chords out. Measure lines to go 4-4 four, four, and 1-2-3-4. Repeat 2-3-4. Like, get rid of them. Or just play, play notes. Make it happen. It's a lot more complex than that, of course. 
but I'm not here to get into the 12-tone music and all this other stuff, serialism, as it's called. So I want to ask a question here. Russia, Germany. Does war kill God or the concept of God? Nature? God is dead, like Nietzsche said. In other words, we don't need God anymore, thanks to science. I think that's an underlying focus of the words of this poem, of the words of the poem that we used in the piece. Maybe I'll take a moment, since I have it right here, to read the, the pertinent lines here. The very first, as the Russian that I said earlier, is this, no monument stands over Babi Yar. He's immediately letting you know why he's upset. There's no recognition of this. And I think I saw a menorah. There's some big, like, there's a few steps, a big menorah, and people are now, you know, many, many, many decades later are discussing it. But today I, I am as old in years as all the Jewish people. Now I seem to be a Jew. He's just relating to what happened. And there's a lot more to it. But... Uh, getting to the right, getting to the parts that we need to know. Oh, my Russian people, I know you. I know you are international to the core. This is a beautiful sentiment. You're welcoming of all people. And since Russia is essentially the only country that's Occidental and Oriental all at once, I would assume that that is quite true. It's Arctic and it's not. It's everything, right? Um, I have... But those with unclean hands have often made a jingle of your pur purest name. I know the goodness of my land. How vile these anti-Semites without a qualm. They pompously called themselves the Union of Russian People. There's much more to mention. I'm not going to read it all. But then at the end, in my blood, there is no Jewish blood. In their callous rage, all anti-Semites must now hate me as a Jew. For that reason, I am a true Russian wasn't being taken very well. And that's the original without the extra stanza that he had to add. But a lot of that is in the piece of music that we sung. And we had the translation, we're reading Cyrillic, but we had the translation right underneath. So as we're learning, and man, I have this thing memorized eventually because we practice it hard. It was, we had to get a lot of people on board with this pronunciation, trust me. It took six months. Um, it was emotional. And the, thankfully... Shout out to Professor James John from Queens College. If anyone knows who he is, tell him I want to talk to him. I want to thank him. I emailed him, but I emailed his school email. Maybe, maybe he didn't get it. So there's even a mention of the Anne Frank situation. Very quiet whispering from a large chorus of men. So it's powerful whispering. And, you know, just the idea of that they're knocking on the doors and they're, not, they're knocking down the door, that kind of stuff. It's a big deal, you know. But... These people were considered a political risk at this point for the Soviet Union. And Khrushchev said it placed Jewish suffering higher, this poem, this piece of music. But um, thankfully it did happen. It wasn't performed much after the originals. I can't believe I got to be a part of it. It's just crazy that it happened. But Yevtushenko said that the music made the poems better, and completely changed him as a poet. Now, you may listen to this and say, I'm not sure if I can listen to this whole piece. I'm not telling you to go love this piece and enjoy it, because wartime music can be very difficult to digest. 
It ain't a catchy rock tune, I assure you. It's written with a very, there's a lot of Russian nationalistic sound, if you know how their national anthem sounds. When you say, you know, Russian music, again, it's, it touches all the way to the east, oriental. It's touching all these different parts of Asia. It touches Alaska. It touches Europe. It's everywhere. You know, it's a humongous swath of land, really is. So remember that. If you're to know what Russian things are like, if you think you know Russia because of the news, if you hate Russia because of the news, you don't know. You can't hate us either. People really probably hate us a lot right now. But I bet they're smart enough to say it's not them, it's not me, it's not you. It's those who should not be in power who are to blame here. And that's the power of art like this. The original conductor declined to perform the work under political pressure. It was a big moment in 1962. It was a big deal. The cameras were dismantled famously before the first performance. The chorus, the entire chorus almost walked out. The soloist gets most of the stuff, but the chorus is a very important part of this. And they bring the character in and out. You're acting. This is, it. This is acting, singing this piece. You can't just, just because you can read phonetically read russian doesn't mean that you're going to successfully perform this piece there are so many nuances it's written by an expert composer who really got the most out of it you can tell how much heart was in it and that's another and you can tell how much heart i have about presenting this information to you i i learned a few things about it i didn't rush to study bobby yar i rushed to study at the time shostakovich I didn't look much into Yevtushenko beyond the poems and the words that he wrote for this piece. But peace is the common ground here. The want, the need for peace. A lot of wartime music imbues this spirit within it as well. And I'm not just saying back in the USSR. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this this is true wartime music. Uh, you can also listen to Benjamin Britten's War Requiem. It's a pretty emotionally stirring piece. And there's English. There's also Latin. Or maybe the whole thing's in Latin, I forgot. <laughs> um, there's a lot to this era of music. And it doesn't all sound like your typical American propaganda, more stuff, or like the very obvious, you know, maybe you can even picture some of the Looney Tunes that had it. It's not like that. This piece will surprise you with the places that it goes. And if you can hear it for what it is, you may actually be able to get through it. There are these little glimmers of beauty here and there, but overall it's very strong. It's a very strong cappuccino. It's a very strong espresso, I should say, in a tiny little cup. Or maybe it's a bunch of espresso shots put in one very, very, very large cup. And then they added cayenne pepper to the mix just to make sure it had punch. There's a lot of, um, you can, you just know, you can hear the emotion. And of course there's, it's difficult if you're new to the world of listening to classical music, your best bet is to find as close to the very first performance as you possibly can, because that's, that's where all the first 
primal emotions that went into it were from. But, you know, don't, it might be great, but don't go to the Chicago Symphony version, right? Go to the Russian version. Make sure the chorus is a bunch of Russians and the, the soloist, who you're going to listen to for most of the time, is singing in his, nat- in his natural tongue. Otherwise, I mean, it's not going to be as good. It just isn't. So I think that'll do it. I said what I had to say about this incident here. It's clearly an unbelievably large massacre of many different races, and it all happened in Ukraine, right in Kiev. And now, back to square one. It's a place of much turmoil. There's a lot going on there. There's resources to worry about. There's huge trading routes and a lot of other things. Used to be Chernobyl. (laughs) So just be on the lookout for what you think about the two different most important and most politicized wars that we're dealing with at this point. Russia, Ukraine, Israel, Palestine. It's not about taking sides. It shouldn't happen at all. And if you choose an incident to be mad about so the other guys can kill instead, then you've been programmed. And a piece like this is telling you the opposite. A piece of music like this is asking for peace. It's a cry for peace. And we can only hope that it works. I hope it works its way into the subconscious of all human beings. Because we can't move on from the tumultuous nature of news that we're getting now without it. And like I said at the beginning, I have I have a little merch shop. I've got my brand new very first book is out, World War U. It's on a bunch of digital stores at ebook right now, and the paperback form should be out within 24 hours of this episode coming out. So that's what I prefer, obviously. You've seen all the paperbacks I'm always sporting in my uh, videos. And very curious what you think. If you think it's a dumb idea, tell me that too. I need all feedback at this point. I really do. And it won't be my last book. And... And the website is growing. I'm going to include news articles from various contributors that will be willing to contribute. And I'm really looking forward to providing that as well at the website. It'd be a reason to see me beyond the video. And I'm going to have my audio episodes up very soon on all the major audio platforms, just in case the video is not convenient for you. I should have done it a long time ago, but it's been tough time-wise. So thank you, as always. And I look forward to seeing you again very soon.